You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. What's up, guys? Sam Mellinger here, sports columnist with the Kansas City Star, and I am grateful for you listening to the 28th episode of the Mellinger Minutes for Your Ears podcast. The goal, as always, to be worth your time this week, we'll do it with a point about the Chiefs that I've mentioned before, but I believe will become even more apparent to everyone this week. Uh, we also have another great bunch of questions that hit on the Chiefs, taking public criticism and some other things. And we welcome the great Vic Carucci of the Buffalo News. Uh, Vic has covered the NFL more than four decades. He knows more about the Buffalo Bills than anyone who is not employed by the Buffalo Bills. And honestly, probably more than some people who are. Uh, he'll help us break down Monday's game, which I know a lot of us have been looking forward to. Huge thanks to you for listening. Uh, if you like the show, please subscribe and give us a rating and review to help us get the word out. Uh, we're working really hard to present information and perspectives you can't get in other places. The Star is running a special promotion for the Sports Pass right now. $1 a month for three months. Uh, that gets you all of our sports coverage, including more original Chiefs content that you can find anywhere else. Reach out to me on Twitter or Facebook or email and I'll send you the link. Okay, uh, if you remember after the Ravens game, one of the points I made is that this Chiefs team is doing this thing that the really great teams do, right? Like where the, the moment is never too big, where they play their best in the biggest spots. And that, you know, the really good teams can win championships, but the really great ones move beyond the opponent uh, being the standard. You know, they kind of set their own standard. Um, they meet it and then they raise the standard and keep the cycle going. Uh, you know, maybe you think this is a weird thing to bring up after they got bossed around by the Raiders on Sunday, but I actually think it's the perfect time because this team should be angry, you know, like they should be frustrated. It, it should be at least a tiny, tiny bit embarrassed because, you know, it's one thing to get beat, right? Like that happens, but it's another thing to get worked around like that against a team you know you're better than. And, you know, the point here is that the Chiefs have always had these dips. You know, all teams do, even the great ones. You know, the, the loss to the Colts last year stands out. Um, you know, even the home loss to the Chargers the year before. But this, you know, this group right now, they have a pretty remarkable track record of rising to that moment of sort of, you know, playing the best in, in the big moment when their backs are against the wall. I'm thinking right now, obviously, the three comebacks in the playoffs, but, you know, also winning in Foxborough at the end like that last year, uh, you know, beating the Ravens in week three, even after the the win against the Vikings when Mahomes was hurt uh, a couple years last year. So, I, you know, I'm even thinking of the AFC Championship game after the 2018 season, you know? Like, they lost, right, obviously, but they also scored 31 points in the second half on Bill Belichick after going down 14-0 at home. Uh, you know, they came back to tie it at the end. And I'm t like in that moment, and Blair Kirkhoff was the first person I heard to, to make this point. But in that moment, that field goal by Butker at the end of the fourth quarter was the clutchest kick in franchise history. And, you know, 
they had that thing won, if not for the offsides call, obviously. And I'll even go a step further. Does anybody believe the Chiefs would not have won that game in overtime if if they won the coin toss? So, you know, anyway, that's what I keep thinking about this week. I really enjoyed the conversation with Vic that we'll play at the end here. And we got into some of the specifics about what the Bills are dealing with and, you know, what matchups might matter in that game. But really, I, I keep going back to this idea of what the Chiefs' personality is, like their identity, who they've shown us they are. And I want to be sure that I'm not getting like overly dramatic here, right? Like the, the Chiefs are four and one. And, you know, after the Bills, they've got the Broncos, Jets, Panthers, and then the Raiders off a bye week. And they might beat the Raiders by 100 in that game. So, look, I, I'm not saying that their backs are against the wall, right? Um, you know, it's not like being down, at, down 10 in a playoff game or whatever. But, you know, what I am saying is this is a critical game. If you look at where the standings are right now in the AFC, and I get that we're really early, but, you know, if, if you lose this game, I think you, you could be as low as like sixth in the AFC in the moment. Again, lots of season left, but it's the difference between being, you know, a game behind the undefeated teams and, you know, being in sixth place looking up at five teams. That's a, that's a huge thing. And in this moment, the Chiefs realize that, right? And what I'm saying is that, a group that's shown itself to be like acutely aware of what people on the outside say about them. And not only that, but a group that's been as clear as possible that it will go to extraordinary lengths to block out praise and focus only on the criticism or the doubt so they can use that as fuel. I mean, you know, the quarterback is taking a number four ranking among all players in the world as a backhanded slap across the face. So, you know, guys, like what I'm saying is that a week of hearing about Derek Carr punking them and the offensive line can't protect and Mahomes is bailing the pocket too early and John Gruden is having the buses do a literal victory lap around Arrowhead Stadium. Like guys, like a group like that should be expected to play its best in a situation like this. Now, there is a complicating factor here, right? Uh, in that a lot of what we're talking about with the Chiefs, it also applies to the Bills. They, they just got worked by a team that hadn't had a practice, <laughs> or I guess I should say sanctioned practice that isn't gonna get the franchise in trouble, you know, for like 11 days before last week. And, you know, the Bills have a really good coaching staff. Um, that's a good roster, though they do have an injury or two to keep an eye on. But, you know, if the cheer, if the if we can agree that the Chiefs are geared to give their best for some of the reasons we're talking about here, then they should expect the Bills' best for some of the same reasons. You know, I, I guess I'm just falling back on the idea that the Chiefs' best is better than the other team's best, even the Bills, who might be one of the best five or so teams in the league. Okay, uh, before we move on to the rest of the show, this podcast is now free. That does not mean I'm not going to ask you one more time to join us behind the paywall. Uh, we work hard to bring you information and perspectives you can't get in other places. We have the most journalists working the Chiefs beat, the most combined experience around the team, the most perspectives. Please help us by giving the Sports Pass a try. Uh, again, you can join for a dollar a month for the first three months, or you can do $30 for a year. You can find those links online or reach out to me on Twitter or Facebook or email, and, and I'll send them along to you. Okay, quick break, and then we will be back with some questions. If you'd like to participate in next week's show, that'll post on Friday after the Bills game, but before the Broncos game, please call 816-234-4365. Leave your first name, where you're calling from, and almost literally any question. Put the number in your phone, call anytime, 816-234-4365. Okay, uh, quick break, then we're back with those questions.
So, Luke here, and I'm calling from Shane City, and I have a question. So, I kind of realized that Eric Fisher is the last number one overall pick to win the Super Bowl. And before that, is Eli Manning and then Peyton. And that's pretty much it for the, from 2000s onward. What do you think that means? Thanks. Okay, so I double-checked Luke here because this did not seem like it could be true. I had never heard this before, uh, but dang it, I think it is. And um, even more, you know, he mentions Peyton Manning, um, and Peyton came from the 1998 draft, so this goes back even further than 2000. Like I said, like th this is a question I never really considered before, but it's interesting as heck, and I put a lot of thought into this. So, um, you know, let's get to it. The, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is that bad franchises pick first in drafts, right? And and bad franchises tend to stay bad franchises. You know, the the Browns have picked first overall four times in the last twenty two drafts. The the Bengals have been first overall four times in the last twenty seven. You know, the Cardinals, the Lions, these are the teams that are often drafting first and. You know, maybe my favorite piece of evidence here, um, you know, the Raiders were bad enough to draft first in 2007 and dumb enough to use that pick on Jamarcus Russell. Like, that is special. Kudos to them. Uh, the, the point is actually made even stronger by the examples that you're giving, the, the three guys that did win Super Bowls. You know, the front office and coaching staff that was bad enough to have the Chiefs picking first in 2013, they were not there to make that pick in 2013, right? Uh, you know, Fisher was drafted by a completely different football operations team than had existed even a few months before. Eli Manning, you mentioned Eli Manning. Um, he was drafted first by the Chargers, but he never played there. You know, Peyton Manning, look, the, the Colts stunk most years before Peyton got there. Um, I didn't realize how bad they stunk until I looked this up. They'd had three playoff appearances, and each of those were in nine-win seasons in the previous 20 years, three in 20 years, going all the way back to when that team was in Baltimore. So, you know, Peyton, Peyton becomes the exception to the rule here then, right? Like, I mean, they, they brought in good players, right? But he changed that franchise, um, changed the city in a lot of ways, really. Um, so that's one you know, bad teams are the ones picking first and they tend to stay bad. But it's also worth pointing out that the best player in the draft usually isn't the first pick. You know, um, does it surprise you? I, I look this up. The most recent first overall pick who's in the Hall of Fame is Orlando Pace from 1997. And, you know, before that, it's Troy Aikman from 1989. And here's the list of guys taken first overall between those two. Um, you ready for this? Uh, Jeff George, Russell Maryland, Steve Entman, Drew Bledsoe, Dan Wilkinson, Kijana Carter, and, and Keyshawn Johnson. You know, those are not, you know, franchise-changing type players. Um, you know, Peyton will be inducted as soon as he's eligible, obviously. So that, you know, he'll make that a year sooner than Orlando Pace. But, and Eli Manning will probably get in there too. But other than that, the guys who've been taken first overall in this century, uh, I'm not sure you'd bet on any of them to make the Hall of Fame. You know, Miles Garrett is a stud. Um, and he could get there, but this is also only his fourth season. Um, Kyler Murray has a world of potential, obviously still very young. But, you know, Cam Newton is probably the most accomplished of the last 20 picks. And, you know, he's, he's got an MVP, um, got to, but did not win a Super Bowl. Um, I mean, he could go either way. But there's not 
My point is, um, these aren't just surefire first ballot guys that are getting taken first overall. You know, if, if, if we can agree that you need at least four years to begin to judge a draft class, like let's look at the most recent five drafts where players have been in the league for four years. In 2016, Jerry Goff goes first, but then there's Joey Bosa, there's Ezekiel Elliott, Ronnie Stanley, later in the draft, Michael Thomas, Tyreek Hill. Uh, 2015, Jameis Winston goes first. And, you know, honestly, this was not a very good class, but Todd Gurley was there, Amari Cooper, Marcus Peters, um, and besides, like, Winston ain't it, right? 2014, this is a great example. Jadavion Clowney goes first, and that was everybody's pick, everybody's pick. But as it turns out, he wasn't even close to the best pass rusher in that draft. Khalil Mack went fifth. Aaron Donald went 13th. Um, In 2013, the Chiefs year, that was another soft draft class, but DeAndre Hopkins went 27th. Fisher isn't even the best Chiefs player from that draft. Travis Kelsey is. And, and he's not even the second best Chiefs player from that draft, at least not now, because Tyron Matthew went in the third round that year. You know, you, you get the point, right? But let's do one more. In 2012, everybody wanted Andrew Luck. He was like the, the perfect prospect, and nobody could predict what happened there. But, you know, there's a handful of potential Hall of Famers from the top half of that first round, and none of them are Luck. You know, Luke Keekley, Stephon Gilmore, Fletcher Cox. So, look, I, I guess my answer to you is getting at this from both sides. Like, the, the teams doing the drafting are often drafting that high for a reason. And the players they're drafting are entirely unpredictable. Um, okay, I really like that question, though, but let's move on. Hi, this is uh, Pat, P-A-T, and I'm calling with regard to the podcast and was, was proposing a question for the podcast uh, about whether the Chiefs should entertain any interest in Le'Veon Bell. And I'm calling from Leewood, Kansas. Thank you. So uh, this quickly became the topic of the week among Chiefs fans, right? Uh, which is probably good because there's only so long you want to go talking about getting carved up by Derek Carr. The Chiefs have interest. That's a fact. Um, the Bills and Dolphins are reported to be the other teams. Um, and this type topic may end up being moot by the time you hear this because as I'm recording, the teams are basically just waiting for Bell to make up his mind. So instead of talking about whether they're interested, I'll tell you why they should be and, and what that interest means, uh, whether he signs with the Chiefs or not. Um, Some of this is covered in a column that's on KansasCity.com right now, but the most obvious reason the Chiefs should be interested is that the run game stinks right now, and Le'Veon Bell might be able to help. Look, I'm not going to make the case that they'd be getting like the, the 2014 version of Le'Veon Bell. That guy doesn't exist anymore, but, you know, Bell appears to be angry at how things ended with the Jets. He appears to feel disrespected, mistreated, and you have to assume that whoever he ends up signing with will get the best of whatever he has left. If that's true, wouldn't you assume that the best of whatever he has left is an upgrade from Daryl Williams, who the Chiefs have trusted with all of four carries this year since the opener? The football fit isn't perfect. He's a terrific receiver, which is a plus. Uh, But he's also a legendarily patient runner, and that might not be the best thing behind this offensive line. But he'd have a chance to be part of a winner, um, compete for a Super Bowl, and maybe that sets him up for one more fairly big contract. Um, Those are some pluses for, for his side. I'm also very, 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 very not surprised the Chiefs are interested. The front office and coaches, they are aggressive, and they are patently unafraid of taking on personalities that don't work in other places. They've done this before. You know, LaShawn McCoy was a very similar situation last year. Uh, Kelechi Osimile is another all-pro who went sideways with a former team and signed with the Chiefs in his 30s. Um, Osimile, actually, <laughs> him and Bell were teammates with the Jets last year. Um, Darrell Rivas, that's another guy who kind of fits this model. Again, who, who knows what Bell has left? 
his longest rush since 2017 is 19 yards. Um, he averaged 3.3 yards per carry with the Jets. And, you know, we can acknowledge that the Jets are an absolute mess and the offensive line is garbage. But if we go back to his last season with the Steelers, he averaged 4.0 yards per rush. And, and that was three years ago when he was 25. But the Chiefs playing on a backfield this year led by Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Damian Williams. That doesn't exist now, obviously, with Williams opting out. And, you know, God bless him for doing what's best for his family. But, you know, now there's a hole. And the Chiefs have shown that they don't believe Daryl Williams or Darwin Thompson are the answer right now. So even if Bell is just a complimentary guy to Edwards-Hilaire, like, that's worth a relatively small price, right? So... Anyway, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, or again, by the time you hear this, maybe we've already seen what happened. But uh, either way, the Chiefs front office is sending a clear message that it is not satisfied with what's in-house and that they'll always look for ways to get better. That's a good thing. Okay, we have time for one more. And uh, I love these questions that drift away from sports a little bit. Hey, Sam. Uh, I'm just responding to the podcast ideas. And uh, I just had a question. Uh, I'm a person who has kind of gone back and forth with you a couple of times on Twitter, and uh, but I do still follow you because I respect what you have to say. But my question is, what is it like and how long did it take learning to make that transition as a public figure where you're going to take a lot of a lot of pointed criticism or you're just going to get receive a lot of jerky behavior from jerks like me? <laughs> Uh, how long did it take to really learn how to navigate that and, like, you know, develop some thicker skin, being a public figure on Twitter, putting out, you know, putting yourself out there with your takes? And uh, I just found that very interesting. And, you know, I forgot the other part of this question. Um, anyways, just what was that like not to take things personally? Sorry, that's what it was. You know, how did you get to the point where you can really be out there and not take it personally? Or is it still an issue of taking it personally? Okay, sorry for that jumbled message. Have a good one. Thanks. Uh, this call comes from Jason from Urbana, Illinois. And um, this is actually something I've been thinking about a little bit lately. Um, you know, the, the only way that I can think to answer this is to give you a little background. So I hope you'll stay with me a little bit here. Um, I never wanted into this business to be like a hot take guy or, you know, to climb the ladder to be on TV or whatever. That was just never my desire. I wanted into this because I have this endless fascination and love for sports and of learning about the people who make them go and, you know, hearing and, and telling the stories that come from that. I started with a, a volunteer position the summer I turned 16 at my local paper, just doing whatever nobody else wanted to do. Um, I kind of did that just to make sure that this is what I wanted to do because it seemed weird to be that sure, but I'm sure as heck it was. I, I covered high school and college sports through graduation and a couple internships, took a job at the Star covering high school sports after college graduation, and I absolutely loved it. Like in some real ways that I won't bore you to explain here, uh, you know, covering high school sports is the best job in a newsroom. But um, I went from there to covering baseball, writing mostly features and takeouts and some analysis about the Royals. And that was another incredible job. Um, I got to focus on one thing primarily, uh, really getting to know the people involved, develop relationships or rhythm, all those subtle, subtle little things that, you know, help tell the best stories. Then I got this job. And brother, I, <laughs> I have to tell you, I was scared out of my mind. Again, Obsessed with reporting, with writing, and uh, I have a lot of pride in how hard I work, all those things. But 
I also knew that the poor readers of the Kansas City Star went from having Joe Poznanski and Jason Whitlock as their sports columnist to having just my dumb self in a span of like four months. Um, I mean, think about that. Like nobody writes more beautifully and thoughtfully than Joe. And, you know, back when he wrote newspaper columns, nobody wrote as fearlessly or as relentlessly as Jason. And now I'm supposed to fill in for both those guys. Like, come on. You know what you're talking about here, Jason, the, the you know, this new and like heightened attention from being a sports columnist at the, you know, the major paper in town, good or bad on, on you know, the attention that's on not just something I write, but also of me personally in some ways. You know, that was an enormous shift for me. Um, it's not something I sought out. So it's not something that I really prepared myself for, if that makes sense. And, and look, I'm not trying to be dramatic here. Um, you know, the stuff I get, the worst of what I get is a tiny fraction of like what an athlete gets, obviously, right? Or a GM or, you know, unfortunately, um, it's a fraction of what I assume I would get in this job if I was a minority or, or a woman. Um, but it was still a thing. And, you know, I was probably too young for the job when I got it. So it's something that I absolutely struggled with. And, you know, I, forgive me, but I might be getting a little too deep on you here. But um, I was also going through some personal stuff at the time when I got this job. Um, I'd just been divorced, actually. And, you know, that wasn't even close to all of it. Like, again, I, I don't want to be too dramatic here. Uh, this is nothing that a lot of people don't go through. And, you know, actually it turned out to just be like this little slump in a life that's been, you know, way more fortunate than I've deserved. But, you know, there was a time period right when I got this job where it was tough for me and this probably wasn't healthy, but I basically just poured everything that I had into work. And, you know, at the time, work just felt like one of the few things in my life that had been steady and rewarding. So that's where I put my energy. That's where I put my heart. And that made any criticism sting that much more. You know what I mean? So, you know, meanwhile, it's this job that I felt very unprepared for. And when I asked the people who've done this job for advice, the one thing they all agreed on was to not let that personal stuff, the, the criticism, whatever, don't let that get to you. Ignore it. Move on. But, you know, for me at that time, I mean, that's like saying the way to fly is to flap your arms, right? Like um, the best I could do is pretend, but my goodness, like some of the stuff, like literally it just cost me sleep. Um, it cost me self-esteem. It cost me a lot. I mean, I, I still remember one criticism I read on this website that probably never got much traffic, but for me, it felt like ESPN.com and, and I was furious, you know, not because the guy was saying I was writing too much and was spending too much time on topics that the sports columnist at the Kansas City Star should be leaving alone. And that's what he said. Um, and I knew he was right. <laughs> uh, and I like felt exposed. I remember getting into heated email or Twitter wars like a few times, even with people in person. I just didn't know how to turn that stuff off. And, you know, honestly, like the thing that drove me the angriest is that I wasn't confident enough in myself and who I was. And so I was like petrified that they were right. And not just that, but that they would show everyone else that they were right. And then I'm finished, right? Uh, finished in this job that I still feel very lucky to have. Um, so anyway, you're asking a question, like how did I get from that to this, where the stuff really does not get to me? And I've got some theories here. You know, the first is that the more I did this, um, the better I got, the more confident I got. And, you know, look, I'm not nearly as good as I want to be. Um, please don't get me wrong on this. Uh, I am in constant awe, right, of some people that have the same job that I do, like from, you know, Vahe to Sally Jenkins, Greg Doyle, Bill Plaschke, 
bunch of other people, but I at least know that I can do this job. And I, at least I know that I put in the work and I have the insight and the relationships and the contacts and just the, the energy and the care to do this job as well as I can do it. So that makes a big difference. The other thing, and, and maybe this sounds weird, um, but you know, just like personally, like my life got so much better. Um, you know, I have some of the best and tightest friends anybody could ever ask for, but we're spread so far around the world now that we don't see each other enough. So, you know, I developed a broader mix of friends and real friends, like supportive friends, people who I share values with, you know, and more to the point, I reconnected with the love of my life. And we've been married eight years. Um, we have two kids that I'd fight a grizzly bear for. And, you know, that stuff matters more than I ever knew before this happened. So, you know, because now like, come on, like I, I can read like the nastiest, most ruthless tweet or email or whatever in the world. Um, you know, something that might otherwise cut to my soul and would have 10 years ago. Um, but when I go to bed that night, like it's going to be with this amazing woman. <laughs> and when we wake up in the morning, it's going to be because these two sweet and smart and hilarious boys come down the hallway and climb in with us. So, you know, anyway, like that, you know, that's my path. Um, more confident now, um, happier outside of work now. I have a better perspective on stuff. But yeah, I've thought about this often. Um, you know, I finally have like the thick skin that I always pretended to have. <laughs> but anyway, now, obviously, like everyone from the bottom of my heart, you know, please feel free to insult me publicly now. So, okay, uh, love this round of questions. We're taking a quick break here and then we will have a conversation with a man who knows as much about the Chiefs' next opponent as anyone. Okay, uh, we spent a lot of time adoring the Texans game, you know, in the season opener and then the Ravens in week three. But I'm telling you, like playing the Bills on Monday, this is like a top two or at worst top three game for the Chiefs this season. There's a lot on the line here. Um, the loser will likely be no better than third in the AFC, perhaps as low as tied for sixth. Uh, there'll be two games back for the bye and home field in the playoffs. Um, the loser will have two will have lost two games in a row. The winner will have regained some swagger and beaten one of the AFC's best teams. Um, there's the coaching matchup between, you know, mentor Andy Reid and student Sean McDermott. Uh, there's the interesting undercard, the, the offensive coordinators, Eric Bieniemy and Brian Dayball. They're each going to be among the hottest names in the offseason, the head coaching market. Uh, you have the MVP from two years ago and the guy a lot of people think could be the MVP this year in Josh Allen. Tyreek Hill looks up to Stephon Diggs. Tredavious White may or may not play, but if he does, I'll always have a place in my heart for the fact that he's an excellent player selected with the pick the Chiefs used to trade up for Patrick Mahomes. There's just, you know, there's a lot going on here, you know, plus, you know, on a personal level, I'm really sad I can't be there to watch this one in person. I, I love the stadium in Buffalo. Um, it's just sort of in a random neighborhood like Lambeau, like it's like some semi-pro team just morphed into an NFL franchise and they never bothered to move the stadium downtown or at the intersection of highways or whatever. Whatever. The parking lot there in Buffalo, I mean, you know, now that the Oakland Raiders are no more, uh, and may they rest in peace, by the way, the Buffalo parking lot is my favorite in the league to walk through. It's just a bunch of people who want nothing in the world other than to be exactly where they are 
regardless of weather, regardless of how good their team is. Um, anyway, let's get to Vic. Um, you know, he, he's covered the NFL for more than 40 years, most of it with the Bills, going back to their four straight Super Bowls in the 1990s and beyond. He's written multiple New York Times bestsellers. He's worked at NFL.com. He's done game broadcasting. He's a legend in this business, you guys. Uh, nobody knows the Bills like him. Uh, I'm excited to uh, that we are able to talk. Um, okay, here's the conversation. Look, like the, the purpose here, you know, is more to look forward to Monday, right? And not back at yeah. um, at the Titans game. But I have to ask you a little bit about that. It was, you know, like no outcome in the NFL should ever be a shocker, right? But um, I was really surprised by that. I saw your, your game column this morning and um, you didn't pull any punches. But I mean, what what happened? Yeah, I thought, first of all, I, I did not see this coming, not just the score, but uh, the, the fact that the Bills look so ill-prepared to play the game, that's just not the Sean McDermott way. If he's good at anything or if he's shown that much, uh, shown shown that he's good at anything in, in the time that he's been a head coach, it's, it, it's keeping focus. It's uh, keeping players dialed in and understanding what the task is. Now, it, it still may not result in perfect performance, but it would not be the sloppiness uh, that we saw in that game, the the penalties, uh, inexcusable, repeated false starts, and, and those sorts of things. A lack of energy was just there, and and frankly, I, I thought it was the more I've reflected on it, I thought it was as bad a coaching job as he's done uh, since he took this team over. And I still think he's a he's an excellent coach, but uh, this is about as bad a game for him as I saw. And then going beyond that. Uh, the defensive problems we've seen, they, they've been there uh, since the, pretty much since the beginning of the season, but they've overcome those problems with Josh Allen playing great football. And that was the other surprise for me was that he was so off his game uh, and, and with as much time as there was to prepare, not, not just the coaching staff to get him prepared, but to get himself prepared. Uh, I, again, I did not see that coming either. Is it, um, and I agree with you, I think McDermott's a, a really good coach, but I mean, is, these, is it just like a one-off, or is there something you know, that, you, that you saw that could be a problem you know, going forward? No, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him the benefit of the doubt and say that it was more the one-off because of the circumstances, which were screwy, to say the least, mm-hmm. uh, to, to, have, to not know who you're playing, to not know exactly when you're playing, and and I, I'm I'm sure I mean speaking just for myself as a human being though, but these players are, are also human. These coaches are human. Everybody involved with this team are human. And to the extent that you hear all of this awfulness in terms of the amount of people uh, getting infected on the Titans with COVID-19, and you say okay, and now we're going to get on a plane and go there. And yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know that that was something everybody thought about or even gave us even a second of thought to, but it would, it would, it would surprise me if that didn't creep into someone's mind that, or a family member or somebody like, yeah, you're, you're really going to go on, go down there. And I remember that some of the questions that were asked of the, of the bills players and coaches, uh, especially McDermott uh, going into this game. I think the last time they had spoken to the media before the game was like last Thursday and some of those questions were, you know, can you can you refuse to go? Can you can you take a stand and say, look, NFL, we're not going to go play this game. That's too dangerous a spot. 
And again, predictably, the Bills' answer was, well, you know, we do whatever the league is going to tell us. We trust that the league has our best interest, blah, blah, blah. But when, when you're at that place, you wonder, okay, does that too become something of, of a distraction? And, and one of my, uh, before, before this game, I, I do this, this thing called a take five, and I, I rank my five what I consider important elements to, to address in the game. And, and my first one was don't let it become a distraction for the Bills, too, even though the conventional thought was that the Titans would be the team uh, most bothered by that. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, it, it sounds like you, you see these more as like a, you know, Bills problems. Um, and I think a lot of people would, would agree with that. And that's also the Titans and the Chiefs are very different teams, right, um, especially offensively. But is, is there anything that the Titans did? that is sort of, you know, applicable for the Chiefs or other teams going forward? Well, what they did, and, and I compare this to when the Bills played the Titans and beat them in Tennessee a year ago, the biggest difference in the two games was Marcus Mariota was the quarterback then before yeah. Ryan Tannehill took over, right? So Tannehill is now the guy they faced uh, Tuesday night, and Tannehill was uh, was lights out in his performance. He played the way Josh Allen plays, uh, both as a a passer. I mean, a guy who could who could see the see the field well, uh, make really good decisions, reads, work the middle of the field beautifully, and then of course run effectively when he had to. All the things that we had seen Josh Allen uh, do through a four and zero start. So, what's applicable to the Chiefs? Do I have to say? Patrick Mahomes plays like Patrick Mahomes because yeah. you, you get that. And I think that's a heck of a place to start for Kansas City to give them a, a really good shot to uh, come into uh, Buffalo and, and rebound from their loss. And I'm sure, uh, as, a, as a lot of people would suspect, that they're uh, an angry team or a team that, that you know, wants to, just, just as Buffalo would be now, I guess. But, but I think Kansas City had a lot more in the sense of expectation, people before the season seeing them perform the way they were performing to get off to their fast start, uh, the kind of start that was commensurate with their talent and, and everything, uh, and, and Mahomes and, and all the all the talent around him, um, and, and then it and then it didn't show up for, or at least it, it it certainly looked like there was an antidote to that, and and now you wonder. Do, do, do the Bills actually have a good enough defense to handle that? Because their defense, again, has been problematic all year. Not getting pressure on the quarterback uh, has been a consistent problem. And, the, and again, that resurfaced or, or surfaced, I should say. It's not, it, it wasn't like it disappeared. Uh, but that was an issue against Tennessee. Tannehill has all the time in the world. And compound that with missing your best defensive players, two of them, the very best in Tredavious White, uh, and then the other corner, of course, Levi Wallace is on IR. So uh, in comes Josh Norman, who who pretty much his his best football is well behind him, and and, I, and that's why he was available. And you saw his struggles uh, in coverage to, to go beyond Derrick Henry swatting him like a bug. Uh, you know that 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 would be that would be the least of his issues. I mean, I don't expect him to win that kind of head up with a with a power runner like Henry, but. I, you know, you have to have the coverage issue, or the coverage ability, and he's he's now a guy that I think has to drape himself on on receivers if he's going to do anything. And I would shudder to think if I'm him, what he's coming up against 
with Tyreek Hill, with, you know, Kelsey, with the whole uh, realm of, of receivers the Chiefs bring. Yeah. Um, the, the Chiefs have had um... – it's all relative, right? I think they're like fourth in the league in passing, but um, they've been slowed somewhat by teams just going cover two and just putting six or seven defensive backs on the field and just, you know, making the Chiefs either run the ball or throw these short routes. Um, And it's worked um, somewhat. Is is that a a game plan that you think the, the Bills can, should deploy against this team? Yeah, Sam, I I think, look, there are cover two defense. By, by by rule by base. This is the the, the Leslie Frazier Sean McDermott approach, uh, especially Leslie who believes in that and has by the way two really really good safeties in Micah High Jordan Jordan Poyer who who protect that that deep area as well as anybody uh, and our our athletes who can recover well and 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 everything in terms of what you want a two deep team to be. Uh, and let everything in the middle, you know, sort of happen with the idea that you tighten up as you get closer to the goal line. They, they've done a lot of bending, but, but again, they, they can break too when, uh, a team is able to work not just the, the deep, I mean, uh, the, uh, the middle, the underneath that coverage, uh, and, and the, and the outside, uh, zones. But um, but the other part of it is how much time you give that quarterback to work, and if if it's the same lack of pass rush, and they've been you know they've been trying to do blitz blitzing, I think more than we've seen before, uh, different combinations there uh, to get pressure. They've they've been they're resorting to trying to manufacture pressure because they're not they want it to come from that defensive line and then and then play coverage most of the time. But uh, when they're not getting that. Patrick Mahomes, just, I mean, it's not just him, but put a list together of really good, if not great quarterbacks in this game, uh, and, and give them time. They're gonna, they're gonna work you underneath, gonna work you deep. Someone is gonna break off a coverage and run past somebody, and there, there's gonna be a breakdown. Something's gonna happen again, also, when you're missing some key uh, parts and, and, uh, it, it's still unknown as of now what Tredavious White's status is with his back problem. I, I can't emphasize enough how big a hole that is in coverage. Uh, and, and they've not done well against tight ends. So Travis Kelsey, hello, he'll, he'll, he'll do a lot to work that middle and then probably cause some coverage to be adjusted. And bang, that's the opportunity, I'm sure, uh, that they're going to look for. And then you also have Mahomes' running ability, which we saw how, how vulnerable they were to a Ryan Tannehill, good athlete, but but is anybody Mahomes when it comes to that? Not not many. Uh, maybe Josh Allen, maybe yeah. Lamar Jackson. I mean, there's some really good runners. Allen's a great runner, and and that's something you know also that was missing from his game uh, against Tennessee, and really hasn't been there since the beginning of the year. Uh, but I, I I look at that Chiefs offense. And I don't see enough. I, I don't see enough defensive answers right now. And I'm not trying to get caught up in the moment of what we saw against Tennessee. I am. I am including other. You know, the for, the the, cor- the course of those four games. Uh, Derek Carr. Derek Carr had way too much time uh, to operate, and and that was problematic. Jared Goff. Uh, in a in a 25 point um, you know rallying from a 25 point deficit and and pushing that one to the brink uh, again worked with a lot of time so 
Yeah, when 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 you say Derek Carr had way too much time to operate, there's a lot of Chiefs fans that are going to listen. I think, yep, saw that yeah. last week. <laughs> uh, look, like uh, I always thought, you know, pissed off teams can be like really dangerous teams, right? Um, and you know, both these teams are going to be um, carrying that. Is it like everybody gets in these situations, right? Like, um, how have you seen just generally the personality of this Bills team? Like, how, how do they respond to situations like this? Yeah, I, I think it could work to their advantage for sure. I just as, but again, I, I say I can say the exact same thing for the Chiefs. Um, and and I think that you've got the additional issue with Buffalo that it happened in their first appearance. It wasn't scheduled to be, or wasn't a, in, uh, originally scheduled to be uh, quote in prime time, but to, to play a national game and to have yeah. a lot of folks looking at them and saying. Oh, this is what all this excitement was about. All this fuss was about was about this for you know forty two sixteen. But I think uh, yeah, that will work to their advantage. There is no question that that will be fed to them by this coaching staff. And also, what will be fed is uh, guys, uh, you you did take the rat poison. You were the you you know you you all this idea that you could go on this run and and maybe even be undefeated and. We've got the league MVP here in Josh Allen and all, everything that all of us wrote about, talked about, fed. Uh, and, and again, rather than take it in perspective, uh, it, maybe you wonder with, with the additional time they had before that Tennessee game, uh, did that, did that just get soaked up too much? And also, was there a sense that there's a disaster down in Tennessee? We just have to show up. They basically, there's no way they're going to, uh, respond, have a, have, have an ability to, to beat us. But, but I actually think what the, the other lesson that comes out of this Tennessee game for them is look where you, you can find motivation uh, in, in different places, right? You, especially when, and Micah Hyde, the Bills safety said this, if they were the, the Titans, if they were on that end of it and hearing everybody talk about how re- irresponsible and reckless and all the things that, that everybody, all the stones that were being thrown at them, um, that they'd probably react the way that the Titans did, uh, and they weren't ready for that punch in the mouth. So the, the question is, do, do they both come out? Are we going to see like one of the whatever a version of Rocky it was where <laughs> you see at the end of the fight, right, where, where, where Rocky and Apollo, uh, the, that lasting image of the two throwing a punch at each other and then the screen freezes? Is that what we're looking at? Here? You like that? You like that analogy? <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah, it's it's funny. Like I mean, this has been, you know, for the Chiefs. Like and I think for everybody, the whole off season was like, are we actually going to have a season? And so that that first Thursday night game against the Texans was, you know, something. I mean, I literally got chills. Uh, I was so excited to watch an actual football game, and then wow. um, and then it was the Ravens game after that, right? Um, but then, I mean, this is. This has got most, if not all, those same elements. So um, I'm looking forward to it. Man. Yeah, I'm. I am too. Uh, I, I've been really looking forward to this particular game, as I'm sure a lot of people, uh, the the Bills fan base ha- has no doubt been excited, and they're disappointed to to a certain degree that uh, to a great degree that this wasn't Thursday night football. You know that this didn't follow yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly what they were planning. But it, but again, it falls into and, and a Monday night window at 5 p.m. Eastern is going to be a little strange, you know. But it's dinner time with with the Bills, I guess. Uh, as a, and and just that, you know, they had their Thanksgiving dinner with them a year ago, and that worked out well uh, at Dallas. Uh, but I think uh, you know what you're what you're looking at here is still two top top level premier 
teams. I, I would say my my general thought is that there's more uh, explosive talent, uh, top to bottom, probably in Kansas City than there than there would be in Buffalo. But it's not. But it's not by a lot. I think there's mm-hmm. they're they're close enough that this is the kind of game you want to relish. You want to see how these uh, these two teams match up, and you also want to see. Uh, with Sean McDermott entering into year four, uh, student against teacher against Andy Reid, and totally. and right, and and I know how much mutual respect is there, and and, uh, and talking a lot about uh, talking a lot to Sean uh, Super Bowl week last year about Andy and their relationship and what he what what he learned from Andy, and and then Andy talking about Sean, Andy Andy enjoying enjoying the glow the Super Bowl glow uh, while also before the game. Uh, talking about some of the assistant coaches that that uh, you know that have gone on to do the great things that he's seen he's seen them do. Now Sean hasn't the greatest thing Sean has done so far is get himself a a massive contract extension, and I do think he earned that. But all eyes are on how he uh, rebounds, and he knows this how he comes back from what could be uh, arguably you know said as a uh, a coaching um, a, a, a coaching fail. Uh, against Tennessee. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, may we all earn massive contract extensions, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I, I think it's the first time we talked, uh, but I've, I've obviously been an admirer of your work for a long time, so I appreciate you taking the time to, um, you know, help me learn. Oh, my, my, no, my pleasure, uh, absolutely. And, and I've uh, enjoyed your stuff as well. And, uh, and looking forward to, uh, you know, uh, uh, looking forward to a game, but not, but it's so strange. So Sam, I've been at this now, this is 40, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm 40 plus seasons. I want to say 41, I, 41 or 42, but whatever. I, I, I know you got to count the season and not the year, whatever. 79 is when <laughs> it all started. So I've been at this a long time, but, but, uh, never, and, and I know so many can say it this way, never anything like this, unprecedented, whatever. I still think it's it's still fun to watch football, even even from the distance that most of it has been watched. We didn't have a single a single reporter from the Buffalo area in Tennessee uh, for that game, so that was strange. And I'm communicating with colleagues from our respective homes on text messaging and and all that, and then, and then we go on uh, you know Microsoft Teams or something or Zoom to 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 get get our plans together, for, and it, it's. I mean, we do. You get the job done, but wow! I, I guess if you stay at something long enough, you you see it all. You know, and, <laughs> right. wow! Like, this right. is crazy. Totally, totally, yeah. Uh, but the football's still fun. So, it uh, is. like yeah. like you said. So, all right, um, well, cool. Well, thanks again, um, and uh, hopefully we catch up soon. Sounds great, Sam. Okay, uh, that's the show this week. Um, thank you for listening. Hope we're worth your time. And if I can impose, I hope we're worth subscribing to, rating, reviewing. Really helps us get the word out. Um, thanks as always to Randy Mason and Savannah Smith for putting this together. Thanks to Vic for his time. Uh, thanks to everyone who called in, even those we couldn't get to this week. And again, biggest thanks to you for listening. Let's do it again next week. Have a good weekend. Be kind. <laughs>